I'm Asan, and this is my long-delayed season review for last season. Um, I've got Howard and Stee to grill me like cheese afterwards, but I'm just going to start the review. Um, I wanted to do it slightly differently, uh, because obviously loads of people have done reviews already. I wanted to look at why we fell short, but in a slightly different way. The way that I'm going to look at it is effectively to look at the three lines on the pitch and just kind of talk about how they performed as a unit and individually before talking about Pep and seeing if I can kind of illuminate what went wrong in the process and whether it was down to Pep or the players or, or what it was. Um, I'm going to start with the back line. The first thing to talk about for me was the decision to change, change goalkeepers last summer. There's a school of thought which basically says it was the wrong decision. There were more pressing needs within the squad. That seems a bit counterintuitive, uh, primarily because of who the manager is. Like, if you look at the cornerstone of what Pep's trying to do from a footballing point of view, then it's all about building from the back. So keeping Hart was absolutely a non-starter. Um, and Brian, Brian Bravo was just really obvious. I mean, he'd, he'd excelled at Barcelona. Whether I know that now people are talking about, people say things like, ah, yeah, but, you know, how many shots does he have to save at Barcelona? No, Bravo was a top keeper for Barcelona. So, yeah, I mean, what happened afterwards is what happens every season at every football club. It didn't work out and, and Bravo had a poor first season. It doesn't mean the decision to sign him was wrong. And nor does it mean that the decision to, to sell Joe Hart was wrong. So the centre-backs, within this, there's three crucial factors to talk about. Rotation the relative inexperience of Stones and the conversion of, of Kolarov into a centre-back. I'm going to start with Stones. I think overall he had a much stronger season than has been made out in other places. Um, but what I do think is that there was an unbelievable amount of pressure on him from day one because of Vinny's injury situation. We have to remember, like, Stones was in the side for the first game of the season, even though it only completed, like, two training sessions with City at that point and had no pre-season with the club. Had basically done his pre-season with, uh, with Everton. In terms of his form, it tended to mirror that of the whole team. So in the early part of the season, when the team were flying, he was flying. But when the team's form dipped, his form dipped as well. I think for me, the crucial difference between him and Vinny is... It's going to make people laugh this. He's not Vinny. Company's probably the only defender on our books who can keep the team together when its head goes. It's it's the trait that world-class central defenders have and it's why they cost so much and it's why they're so hard to find. So for me, from the very beginning, it was unfair to look at Stones as being culpable when the entire defence was... I guess being led by him or was being asked to be led by him. Now, that's not to say that he didn't make individual mistakes, uh, but I think too much was asked of him because of what was going on next to him. Kind of brings me neatly to uh, our favourite Serbian hardman, Alex Kolarov. Um, let's not forget the collective dropping of jaws when the team's sheet for the opening game of the opening game against Sunderland was announced and Collar was Stones' partner. Uh, but in that opening period of the season, when the team is flying, it looked like Pep had worked some voodoo magic and converted Collar off into a ball-playing centre-back. 
it was a big call, but I think ultimately one which was wrong, wrong and one which cost us long-term stability. Stones needed to know who was going to partner him from game to game, and his youth absolutely required stability next to it. Kolarov just didn't provide that. Kind of brings me to what Pep did next, and that's the rotation of the back four. Although I appreciate it's important to rotate players, I think in hindsight, it was absolute fucking madness to expect a young lad like Stones to settle into a back line to take, and to take charge of it when his defensive partners were constantly being shuffled around. When the team's form went and Stones' form went, he had to be taken out of the firing line, which left us with two centre-backs, neither of who, really fit, who, who were really fit for purpose in terms of what Pep wanted. I'm not really going to talk about the fullbacks because it's been done to death and it's just not really interesting. One thing I will say though is keeping all four, not buying at least one for one side was stupid last summer. Even if they couldn't get a first choice, they should have taken a third, second or a third choice because what we got was abysmal and painful to watch week in and week out. So to the midfield, uh, my favorite part of the pitch because it's where the real magic happens. Um, we started the season playing with the inverted triangle with Silver and KDB just ahead of Fernandinho and more or less ended the season playing that way. We played our best football with those two playing in that system, but we also looked our most vulnerable at times when playing with that midfield. Proper head scratcher, but I think it comes down to the two creative players. I think for me with Silver and KDB uh, and this, the season just gone was a learning curve for both of them. I think at times, especially in those early games, they were magic and they really looked like the new Javi and Iniesta partnership. Again, though, as the team's form dropped, it felt like their form reflected this. Brings me back to that theme of stability. Pep obviously saw something in the game against Celtic, which made him feel like he needed to change that dynamic. In a way, maybe he was right because we had the potential to be opened up on the counter-attack because of the attacking nature of the players in, the, in our midfield trio. Um, but I feel as though this was also a mistake because those guys individually and collectively needed to master that formation and what their responsibilities were. Instead, at the first sign of trouble, their manager changed it. Suddenly, they were being asked to play different positions uh, and play different roles. Well, that's on Pep. Uh, just going back to the players individually, I think Silver in particular had his best season since the uh, title-winning one in 13-14 which says a lot about how he personally adapted to what Guardiola asked of him. I think De Bruyne struggled a lot more, especially in the middle of part of the season where it really felt like he couldn't pass water, let alone a football. Um, but again, I feel as though his adaptation to, to, to what Pep wanted was much more demanding based on his versatility. He literally played three, four, five positions over the course of the season, and not just in small games, you know what I mean? He, he started the new camp as a, as a false nine. I just think, I think by that middle part of the season, his, his mental hard drive was just completely overloaded. And then I've got to talk about Gundogan as well. I don't think that situation particularly helped. Um, felt as though KDB was moved out wide to accommodate Gundogan. Also felt as though, weirdly, our dip in form coincided with his introduction to the team. Uh, certainly, he started the three killer draws in the autumn for me, which were Borough at home, Everton at home, and Southampton at home. Now, I'm not blaming those draws on him, don't get me wrong, but I think our overall 
performances were affected somehow. And certainly I think the performances of Silver and KDB were affected and the dynamic of that midfield was affected when he was introduced to it. Then he gets the injury and it becomes an even bigger blow in a weird way because we lose a key option. Even though he's unsettled aside, you know it's a long season and suddenly you lose a key option that you were going to have. Now, I can't really talk about the midfield without talking about Torre as well. Um, our moody, cake-loving steam train I've written here. Uh, for me, the bottom line is we learned that against the bottom 12 sides in the Premier League who will part the bus for want of a better phrase. He was the perfect deep-lying playmaker. However, it's his exclusion in the Champions League games and the way he was exposed in certain Premier League games. For example, against Liverpool, where I thought it was really a mercy substitution to take him off. Um, it showed that there's a time and a place for him and less and less it'll be in big games, which is a shame for someone who'd been such a big game player for us. However, over the season as a whole, he actually was more of a bright spark than anyone could have imagined during his early exile from the team. Right, the forwards. Um, I think this is the one line of the pitch that was right and stable from the off. Sterling nailed down his spot on the right. Now, Lee Owen then Sane did the same on the left. Um, all three of them, when they played, had excellent seasons. For Sane and Sterling in particular, considering their ages uh, and the fact that they were playing for a manager who was insanely demanding, I felt they both truly excelled. Uh, Kun's season has been talked to death, both the pluses and the minuses. Uh, the only thing for me that I'd say is that over the course of the season, he missed more big chances than I've seen him miss in the previous three seasons. It was strange to look at his goal record and then at the same time to be disappointed in a way at the season that he's had as a whole. Now, absolutely post Gabby Jesus' injury, he seemed to really go up a level, but those chances continued to be missed in crucial games and in crucial moments. Oh, well. He's got enough credit in the bank and hopefully this season will break, uh, this season as in next season, he'll break the 40 goal barrier, which he could have done in the season just gone. So finally to Guardiola, basically I think the root of our problems this season stemmed from him and the decisions that he made. We all know the virtues of Guardiola, but in this very, very particular season where he found himself for the first time in his managerial reign with a squad of players who may be couldn't execute what he wanted perfectly from day one. I feel as though he should have made allowances. Now, I can hear Damo's head falling off of me saying that, but rest assured, I'm not talking specifically about tactics. I will do in a minute, but not for the moment. For the moment, I'm just talking about stability. The forward line had total stability. Raz on the right, Kun up top, Nolito, and then Sane on the left. It worked throughout the season, and but for the easy chances missed, who knows what happens. But the opposite for me is true at the back. Pep's constant changing of Stones' partner in defence was wrong. He needed stability next to him. The rotating, rotating the fullbacks merely exacerbated this. For me, the same applies more or less in midfield. Silver and De Bruyne needed to master the roles that they started the season playing. That's debate, that stability maybe would have led to both of them having seasons, like the forward line where their consistency was almost unimpeachable. Tactically, this also applies... Sorry, Damo. Um, I was the first to say that the players needed to learn how to play different systems, but it felt this season as if Pep 
Pep went through a trial and error period, especially during the aborted attempts to play three at the back. This again led to so much instability in the midfield and defence that it became almost catastrophic at times. But okay, it's over now. For what it's worth, I think Guardiola is a genius and what he will have learned from this season means next season we are going to be a Pep team on steroids. New fullbacks alone will change the game. Vinny's back. That changes the game. If we get Sanchez, it's game over for the rest of the league. Time for a bold ASAM prediction. We'll be the front runners that Chelsea were last season and nobody will catch us just as nobody caught them. That's my review. Howard, Steve, who wants to go first? <laughs> uh, well, uh, very good. <laughs> I think bit, there's, not, there's nothing I'd uh, really disagree with you there. Uh, so, thumbs up for me. I would just, I want, can I just ask you, I want to ask you about the goalkeeper a bit late, not immediately. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we've not been linked with any, talk about the midfield, we've not been linked with any central midfielders, have we? Mm. Well, we have with Carvalho, but I think we all agree that's rubbish. Yeah. You think we're right not to not to strengthen in there? The only reason, you know, I've mentioned this before. I know it seems a completely important point. Uh, Football 365 did an article, you know, like they always do at the end of the season because they need stuff to write about, like any football site, top 10 defenders, top 10 midfielders, top 10 attacking midfielders. And if you look at the top 10 non-attacking midfielders in the Premier League last year, none of ours would get near there. Do you see it? Can we rely on Gundogan just coming in, being fit and being that, you know, not a pivot, not that sort of pivot, but, you know, behind the attackers? Mm. Or do you think we really, are we still going to be lacking depth there? Because one injury to him, we know Yaya's staying, but we all know he's not playing every week. He can't be. Uh, Is it... Another chance, another season where we kind of expose the defenders again if we don't strengthen there, or are Fernando and Delph going to come of age, or no, what do I you mean, think? I think it's, I think in a way you're right. I think, I think that's the position that we're rolling the dice in, um, and I think for me, like I, I talked to Marty Perrineau, and, and his point of view is Guardiola wants two players for every position, and in the midfield three. He's got six players in the two Silvers and KDB, uh, Fernandinho, Gundogan, and Torre. That gives him six six players on paper anyway for the three positions. Um, whether that's right or wrong, I don't know. Like it's really hard to call. I mean, my as I said in my review, I think what we learned from from the season in terms of Torre is that against the bottom twelve, maybe even the bottom, yeah. 13 in the league, he absolutely is a world-class deep-line playmaker. Do you know what I mean? He's yeah. right. And especially at home as well. He'll start all the, the brown shoe teams, right? You yeah, can see exactly. him just starting. Exactly. And I think that what that allows Guardiola to do is it allows him to manage Gundogan and Fernandinho's games much better from the very beginning of the season. I think last season was a bit more complicated because obviously Gundogan starts the season injured and Torre starts the season in exile. So it's got to be Fernandinho every week. Um, and I think going into having a full pre-season with all those players and going into the season knowing, for example, he's given Torre a 12-month contract, which means that there'll be no shenanigans. He will start the season. Um 
it, I, th I just think it will, maybe it will help the, the kind of balance and the stability because from the very beginning, he'll be able to manage everybody's games in a much better fashion than he maybe was at the start of last season. But I, say, I think yeah. you're right. But I do think you're right that it's the dice that we're rolling. Like it's almost one of those things where it looks like we're going to buy nine players. Yeah. And I'm sort of, sat, uh, sorry, eight players. And I'm sort of sat here going, just buy the ninth. You know, you should have just let someone yeah. go and bought the ninth. But then I, part of me thinks maybe they just can't get that guy that they want. And they've known yeah. that from the start. So they've gone, you know, they, they've been planning these transfers since February and they gave Torre a new contract within two or three weeks of the season ending. I reckon they've known for a while they can't get the guy they want this summer. Um, and that that's why they've given Torre a new contract. Yeah. Fair enough. No chance of Garcia stepping in, do you think? Again, Perinau said that he's going on loan because right. he needs to play like, you know, it, it, they're at that age, I think, particularly yeah. Alex, he's at that age where he really, really needs to go and play and play regularly. And I feel as though if he was really going to make that bridge, he'd have played more, particularly towards the end of last season. Yeah. Agreed. Steve? Yeah, I thought it was a really good review. Um, it wasn't a lot of contentious opinion in there I think a lot of people would agree with what you say um, one thing that did stand out for me I think you gave some of the players too much of a get out clause uh, there's a couple of occasions you said that you have a team lost form so subsequently that particular individual lost form as well whereas of course those players make up the team and so that's a reason why the team lost form so um, I'd say you were too easy, perhaps, on KDB and Stones, um, in purely in that regard, at least. Uh, the question that I'd have for you is, if you could go back to last summer and then just saw a glimpse of how the season, you know, like a highlight reel, a kind of you know one minute highlight reel mm. or low light reel. How would you have responded? I mean, obviously, we can take it as read that you would have been surprised. But what else? Kind of, how would you have responded to that? You mean in terms of the transfer market or just in terms No, no, just, just how the whole season panned out, how Guardiola fared, just how everything that oh, played out as did. If you saw bitterly kind of, you know, a yeah. one-minute kind of yeah, thing yeah, of that yeah, yeah. last summer, how would uh, you have responded? Yeah, bitterly disappointed. I'd have been pretty shocked, to be honest, and I'd, I'd, I'd have found it quite difficult to believe Mm. Um, because I really, you know, I didn't say this in my review, but I began the season absolutely certain that we were going to walk the league and six games in, seven games in, even after we lost at Spurs, nothing was going to shake that sense of we've got this, even with the fullbacks that we've got, we've got this. Um, and that's kind of why, you know, you say that I'm giving... KDB and Stones too much of an easy ride but mm. I'm not like for me I'm actually there's a reason why I chose to defend those two players and that reason is because the decisions that Guardiola made in my opinion affected those two more than they affected anybody else so that's for, fair comment for yeah. Stones I think you cannot expect a 21, 22-year-old kid who's come from Everton to be Vincent Company. It's just, it's, it ain't going to happen. Vinny didn't Okay, okay hey, Sam, I've got, I've got one, an extension on that then, because the third player I thought you went too easy on was Nolito. 
Um, I thought you kind of, well, there's three occasions you praised him uh, and no occasions did you kind of damn him. Um, I felt he had, you know, a largely disappointing season, um, showed precisely why he was bought, showed what he was capable of and produced what he was capable of on on occasion. But when you look at the season overall... Well, he fell out with Pep and then he got jettisoned and he didn't play again. I mean, it was like... It was like a, it was like a, a switch was flicked, and Guardiola decided I ain't playing you anymore. And and for me, it, it coincided with with Sane's goal at, uh, um, against Arsenal uh, in December, and that's it. From that moment on, Sane's flying; nobody can touch him, and uh, and Nolito's done. So, yeah, I mean, I don't. I, for me, I feel as though the point I was trying to make within that is more about stability, right? It's that. That front line, it had perfect stability. Uh, wasn't really, other than when they tried the the three at the back. But even then, like you know, the where the three at the back fell apart was the midfield and the back three, not the attackers. And for me, yeah. if you play Sterling and Sane as as quote unquote wing backs, they're attackers. They're not. Uh, they're not defenders. But I want to go back to KDB and Stones and, and why I defended them. I think it was too much to ask of Stones what we were asking of him at the start mm-hmm. of the season. And I think that in terms of me defending him, I'm defending him because and KDB because of all those guys in those positions, yeah, those two guys will be key to us next season and they'll be much better players. And that in and of itself will be proof that something went wrong last season. And for me, what went wrong was that we asked too much of Stones because Vinny wasn't around. And when I say asked too much of him, it's not just, he was ready to play. He's ready to play every week. That's not an issue. But you can't expect him to play with three different defensive partners, you know, almost oh, yeah, every time absolutely. He plays. It's, it's interesting that you say that Stones could be a key figure or you anticipate him to be a key figure. I think there's a lot of doubt on that. I know like he'll be a key, key figure. figure. I know he'll be a key figure in terms of the the way that the club are thinking and the way that Guardiola is thinking. So, without mind, then would you are you anticipating less rotation at the back next season? Yes, yes, because I think that the stability at fullback. I, I think that the one thing that Guardiola's learned from this will have learned from the season is stability, and I keep using that word because it's the word that keeps being thrown at me by Marty Perrineau about what Guardiola wants. He wants stability across all the lines. And I think he realized, he realizes when he's analyzed last season that there was a significant lack of stability, particularly. He realized, for me, he realized far too late. And that was, that's the biggest criticism I would have of last season as a whole and of Pep in particular. I think he realized a quite an obvious uh, lesson. I don't think, I don't, I don't think that he, this is going to sound weird, but. I think he knew. I just don't think he cared. I think he yeah, wanted no, to try. I, his, yeah. I just think he wanted to. I think uh, I'm not saying that he tossed the season off, but I'm saying that he wanted to experiment and he wanted to learn about the players that he's got and he wanted to do all of the things that he did and throw as much shit against the wall and to see what stuck and what didn't stick. Um, and and in a way, of course, results are important and of course, performances are important, but he will have known, there there will have been a point, I think, in this season where he will have known, yeah, I'm 
I'm not, I'm not going to get the Premier League here with this with this group of players playing the way Leicester. They're, they're playing. Yeah, yeah, Leicester. But you know, to be honest with you, like um, the the game at Anfield on 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 what was it New Year's New Year's Day where I was New Year's Eve where where you guys were. Um, mm. I mean, uh, you know, did did Torre get subbed on like 50 minutes or something like that when it was just like a mercy substitution and it was just like we were so timid. I mean, just I didn't. You know, you, you kind of watch that game and you go, neither of these teams deserve to win the Premier League title because neither of them look like title winners. Um, but, but more than any other game, and, you know, I'm factoring in some catastrophes here as well. That particular game, if it was still going on now, City would have scored. It's <laughs> <laughs> the one game I didn't see all season. I think I timed it quite well, to be you honest. You timed it perfectly. Right? You, did, you definitely timed it perfectly. I knew what was coming anyway. Yeah. Can I just ask... It's to do with Joe Harbour. It's a very left field question. Go for it. Uh, but I think it kind your answer kind of well, it kind of sums up what people think about United and stuff, but also what they think of Hart. Yeah, there's been a rubbish. I think it's a rubbish rumor that's not happening. And yeah, about Hart going to United. Mm-hmm. I'm just wondering, would you be bothered if he did? No. No. Okay. I'd love it. But yeah. I just thought I know it's yours, but I just want to interject it quickly and say I would love it. Um, I think it would add loads of drama. Uh, I've never been his biggest fan, Joe Hart. Um, and personally, I would actually welcome it. Right, I but, wouldn't yeah. go that far. I won't go that far. <laughs> and I'll tell you why. Because the summer are going to be absolutely gutted, though, aren't they? Like it'll just be another thing against Pep. So, but <laughs> no, but for me, for me, it's like it's true. It is true. Some people will absolutely despise Pep if he's. If he's really given the go-ahead for this, I don't yeah, think it's happening. Don't I, think it's happening at all. But you know, I think that I think that football supporters are fickle in the sense that if we spend all of the all the next season at the top of the league, there's not going to be a single City fan that's going to talk about Joe Hart one way or the other. The only yeah. reason that the Hart thing became a thing this season was because Bravo struggled and the team struggled. I mean, had Bravo struggled and we replaced him with Caballero and we'd have ended up winning the Premier League, nobody'd be talking about Bravo right now. In fact, yeah. I reckon there'd probably be a lot of people going, maybe we should give Bravo another chance. Do you know what I mean? He's had his season settling in. I think it's, you know, I do this as much as anybody else, so I'm not slagging anybody else off. We tend to reflect individual kind of instances and opinions like that. They're, they're reflective of what's gone on as a whole. So you win the league, and everything gets brushed under the carpet. You finish fourth or third in the way that we've done it, and you do start picking holes in things, and you know everything feels. It's why, like you know, the thing about Stones that that, that you said earlier that you don't, you're not sure that he will start the season. It's because, like, it's it's an, I'm I'm absolutely a hundred and it's an absolute certainty that John Stones is going to start the first game of the season for me. He's crucial to Pep. He's, you know, he bought him because he's his guy. Pep is spending this summer, in my opinion, building a back four for Stones and 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 Vinny, and to have one other guy. And I reckon they might get rid of Kolarov and Otamendi and just have Adarabio and have one other guy who is at the level of Vinny. So that if Vinny drops out. Vinny gets an injury. They've got another leader who can step in and the the stability as far as Stones is concerned is not affected and he can learn and he can grow. Um, I want to go back to KDB just very quickly as well because I think he, his form as well, like I'm not trying to make excuses for him and there's really no excuse for not being able to pass the ball five yards and really for a guy of his talent, he did go through that phase where he couldn't pass it five yards. It was a bizarre thing to see. Um, But he's also like a model pro and like, you know, he's, 
he's an unbelievable footballer. And and that's why I said what I said in my review. I genuinely feel like the only the only answer I can come up with is that he had his brain scrambled. That that you see how much information Guardiola is trying to get into the brains of players. And can you imagine being a player that's asked to be effectively as being asked to play in different positions and then being given different information for each position and, and being expected to retain that. Because that's like, you know, positional play that Guardiola loves. It's about instinct. It's about instinctively knowing how far away you should be from your midfield partner, where you should be when they're in a certain position, how you move up the pitch. But if you're also then being asked to play in right wing and know how to play that right wing posi- positionally, yeah, I mean, it's. I think your your brain can become scrambled, but I think for me, same for Stones. I think I think that was yeah, yeah, the reason. You see it with Stones more than any other player. Don't you? You see that split second of kind of is this what Pep wants me to do? Totally. Yeah, and that that'll go. You know, that hopefully will go this season coming now. Um, De Bruyne was three. You know, he was the top assister in the Premier League, and he was. Not just he was three clear of Ericsson in seconds, so and that's mm. that's exactly the thing that we're talking. What could about. he do? Yeah, yeah, we're talking about a lad here who actually, like, we were, as City fans, we would all agree, definitely not his best season. Do you know what I mean? Like, he was yep. he, he was all right, but he had that patch where he was awful, and mm. yet still he delivers those numbers. Um, well, I mean, if we got like Sanchez, I don't think he's he's some of his stats won't look that impressive, yeah. Passing accuracy, people are obsessed with that, aren't they? Uh, but again, they'll get goals and assists because he's destructive. He's looking, looking to score. He's looking to set someone else up to score. He's not interested in the sideways backwards pass. So that's what you get with these players, isn't it? Totally. But, but yeah, I think I don't know if he was just knackered or whatever. Uh, but he did have about a month where he just you think he needs a he needs a beach holiday or something, but there was no chance to give him that. So yeah, hopefully a fresh player next season and it's uh, back to normal. So I've just got an extension on Howard's uh, heart question. Hmm. Just very quickly. How do you think the media coverage would have differed or the public's perception would have differed if it had happened at United under Mourinho, if Mourinho had been that strong, you know, kind of strong uh, in his decision-making? I don't know is the honest answer because I feel as though there was definitely a um, look. He's basically got rid of Smalling and Jones and Luke Shaw. Mm. Yeah. So effectively those three are at best second, third, fourth choice. You see what I'm saying? The only but he's done he's, do, he's done that though. I mean, those decisions came to light throughout the season. It became obvious. I mean, particularly with Luke Shaw and his criticism of Shaw. Um, which I would, you know, I'm. I think Mourinho I, would have got. I think if Mourinho had flogged Smalling and Jones, for example, right, or the goalkeeper, or if he was an English goalkeeper, if that if that situation was reversed, I think Mourinho would have got hammered as well. I, I do you really think so? Yeah, I, I do. I, I do. Agree. Really? Oh, I I think it would have been um, you know, betrayed as strength and kind of you know knowing what he wanted coming in and having the balls to do it and you know and all that all very positive really Uh, it wouldn't have been praised to the rafters don't get me wrong but it would have certainly been portrayed in a far more positive manner than the fact that it was pep okay i truly believe that it's um and i'm not saying it's you know any kind of bias against pep i just really going on the other side really and just saying that the the bullshit that is regularly espoused against uh Mourinho and 
uh, all this mythology that's built up around him. I think that would have fitted directly into that. That's interesting because I, I normally I'm the first one to stick as many knives into that. <laughs> swap, yeah. But you know, I'm just I'll in this particular instance. I think you know he got rid of England's number one goalkeeper. You know what I mean? Like if, even if Mourinho had done that and brought Bravo in, and what happened would have happened. I, for me, who whichever manager does that, you're just getting panned because you've got rid of England's number one. And you. Well, I agree with the latter part. I mean. You know, subsequently, what with how kind of Bravo played, then yes, it would have turned. But I think for the actual during that summer, I think it would have been quite positive. Um, Howard, what do you think? Uh, I'm not to be honest. I've yeah, like I said, just give me any opportunity to slag off the media, <laughs> and the opportunities come thick and fast. <laughs> I spent a large part of time just thinking, just basically imagining that the situation was reversed yeah. and was happening at Old Trafford and well, I can see a very different narrative forming. All I would say is, I'm not sure, it was kind of split the heart. At the time, he, yeah, before Bravo came in and we saw, and it didn't go very well, I don't think he was slated that much pep. It was, I think it was split down the middle. There was a lot slating him. There was a lot that really thought, well, at the end of the day, art's not all that. Maybe it was a broadsheet, red top type split. I don't know. Mm. Uh, so I don't, th- I've seen him get worse criticism than he did for the heart thing, to be honest. And the other thing with Mourinho, I th- the only thing that says maybe I don't fully agree with you is I think people are just getting bored, bored, you know, just bored of his stick basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, I think they already were last summer. And I think that tempered the, that how much praise he would have got because people, it's not fresh anymore with him, is it? It's just like, yeah, oh, there would have been people up his arse. Uh, one person springs to mind. Uh, <laughs> he's probably yeah. still up there, he's to got, be honest. He's, he's, got a, he's got a tent up there, though, so... Yeah, yeah. man. Obviously not, obviously not good for hair growth, is it, living up his arse? <laughs> oh, my God. But, An 11-day break for podcast was too long. We should <laughs> ever ever do that again man <laughs> but yeah I, I only tempered it yeah I say I, I'm, I slide with Aceite because I think people are a bit bored of Mourinho and I think a lot of the criticism for Pep came later to be honest yeah uh, I think I just want to go back to the Joe Art thing because you did ask me and I didn't finish answering that you asked me whether I'd be bothered. the reason the reason I asked kind of the reason I asked it bothered it kind of answers the question well, he's not really that good. Because if it, taking the allegiances aside, that would weaken United, wouldn't it? If what? you go from to hate to heart. Yeah, goes without saying. Yeah. Goes without so. saying. But that's not, for me, my point of view is this. I don't want Joe Hart to go to United. But if Joe Hart turns around and says, I want to go to Man United and they want to buy me, then that reinforces what I think of Joe Hart as a character. And in that instance, fine, go there, mate. Do you know what I mean? Bothered. Yeah. Like, it's a step down for you. So, I think it's... Which, as I said, I'm not his biggest fan, to be fair. And so, that would kind of tie in with that anyway, as regards to his character. So, Yeah, I mean, I, I really like Joe Hart. But as if, but as a keeper, he's not world-class. So, mm. uh, But I've always had a lot of time for him. I think he's... Yeah, a lot of rival fans always call him very arrogant and all this. I don't see any of that whatsoever. He's, he's a keeper. He's got to be different. He's got to be confident. He's got to puff his chest out. And he always stood up and apologised and, you know, was there to face the cameras. So really like the guy. But at the end of the day, I'm only bothered about how good are our respective teams. 
Yeah, and I yeah. think he, I mean, I, I, yeah, it's not it's not David Silver going there for me. No. Maybe oh God. don't even maybe say that. <laughs> We get St. John's ambulance on the alert. Oh my God, I just got a palpitation there. <laughs> just that. Have you got a paper bag there? The fact oh. he's gone for a year as well kind of tempers it for a bit. It's not as if he's gone straight from our team into theirs. Not that yeah. I think it's happening anyway, but yeah. It's uh, very so difficult. I've got a, a bit of a. Go on. It might be difficult to answer. I, I don't know. It might be straightforward, but the the negatives that built up around Pep last season. And not just because it was at City, it was the fact that it was his first season in England, so all the tension was on him, you know, from the English press. So, you know, it, it, to, to a certain extent, it was like England was introduced to Pep Guardiola, uh, certainly on a broader scale. And so with that, of course, there's always going to be negatives as well as positives, no matter how well City did, in my opinion. So those negatives that have built up now, the kind of almost cliches, the kind of you know not coaching, tackling, for example, to use one of the crappiest examples. How many of them do you think will be sustained this season, no matter how well City do? And does it even matter? I'll answer the second part first. Of course, it do- it will only matter if if we're not doing well. Mm. Um, it's it's hard to tell because I felt as though like I think. I think one of the one of the issues that I have in the season just gone, which is why I found myself sounding like a happy clapper on so many podcasts, where maybe even deep down inside I was agreeing with a lot of what people on the other side of the fence were saying, was just that I felt as though the media really set him up to knock him down. Yeah. They really, really, really set him up to knock him down. And it was weird how well it wasn't weird because the media are predictable in that sense but it was just painful to see the way the number of cliches that were that were trotted out and how quickly they were trotted out and how you know it just i mean you know i'm not being funny but there was a moment in time where like the the times podcast right are like having a serious conversation. This is not a lie. They're having a serious conversation in like, I'm not going to swear, November or December about how Guardiola is the most likely manager to resign at the end of the season. And you oh, just, yeah. I mean, you're just listening to these people and you're going, look, you all are professionals who work within football and you all know a hell of a lot more about Pep Guardiola than just what you've seen in this microcosm in three or four months in the Premier League. So you know there's not a cat in hell's chance of him resigning. Why would you even say that out loud? Like, what's the... Like, there was like this... I don't know, I just felt like... I felt like Pep was fair game in a way that no other manager in his position would ever be fair game in that. Well, I, I, I strongly disagree with that. I, I, I agree I know, with everything I, up to that last sentence. I disagree, I, I disagree with myself. As I was saying it, I was going, I disagree with myself. No, because <laughs> foreign, managers, foreign managers who come to the league do tend to get this in their first season, particularly yeah. if things don't go right. And I'm immediately reminded of AVB, who was turned into a, a, a figure of fun. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I, I, I just, uh, yeah. I mean, I, I guess that I guess it does happen to foreign managers. But the one thing I'll say is that, and this is definitely a, a, a media bias thing. Had Pep Guardiola been appointed the manager of Arsenal, Liverpool, 
or Manchester United, there is absolutely zero chance that he gets the media bollocks that he got in the season just gone. No chance. They spend the whole season talking about what a genius he is and the plans that he's putting in place and how it's all about next mm. season and, you know, the the... The, the excuse-making, yeah, they'd be falling over themselves to make those excuses. And I guess that, yeah, with, with with the fact that he joined City, I feel as though, you know, it's, again, it's like, it seems to bother them. Like, it, there's definitely this thing that, like, you know, I, I, and I like Gab Marcotti, but he's like, you know, he's had a lot of digs at Begaristein and, and at Guardiola, and it's, it's almost like, Mate, like, are you are you really are you annoyed at the fact that City got Soriano and 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 Bergerstein to get Guardiola? Because that's what it sounds like. Because like you know you're guffawing at how oh, the squad wasn't ready for well it's not a Guardiola squad and um, you know Sanya's not Philip Lahm. It's like no shit Sherlock, but he's not come for twelve months. He's come for a minimum of three years. So even if he's not got the perfect squad in the first season, next season. It's a pretty good chance he'll have much closer to a perfect squad and it'll be much closer to being a pep team. That's common sense. So why are we living in this kind of, you know, it just felt like the, the media absolutely wanted to, to live in the bubble of the moment so they could have a go at Pep. Whereas for Mourinho, they'd give, you know, I mean, the excuses they fell over themselves to make for Mourinho this season were just unbelievable. I mean, really, it's like, I don't know. I'm ranting now. Sorry, I'll stop. <laughs> well, the weird thing is, I kind of agree and disagree with that. I mean, I can see where you're coming from, and I've certainly kind of written several articles kind of centering on this very subject. But I would also say, to kind of counterbalance that, I felt that last season, more than any other season I can remember as well, it was almost basically balanced out between managers. It was They took it in turns to take flack. So Mourinho did get his spell, um, and he got a kick in. Um, Pep certainly did. Wenger certainly did. When did Klopp Mourinho get a kick did. in? Sorry. When did Mourinho get a kick in, and when did Klopp get a kick in? Because for me, I think Mourinho got started getting a, uh, a kick in when um, uh, you know, obviously, they, they played fairly entertaining football for a spell, and so that's when all excuses were made on their behalf. As soon as it went back to that kind of Van Hal kind of dire, you know, typical Mourinho, defence first, pragmatic approach before they, so I would say kind of at the turn of a year, that's when the knives came out, I felt. It came out after Pep. I think Pep got it first. I don't, I can't um, agree with but, that. Yeah, I, I would say for a good six weeks, two months, and people were talking about, I mean, because bear in mind as well, I do Weren't a lot they of... they talking about uh, them being the Invincibles? Like, wasn't there this, like, thing that they'd not lost the game in, like, forever, and how, I, how that was so it was, impressive? It was, and, they're going to be the worst Invincibles of all time, and, and jokes about that. I would... The reason I'm saying this is that I work for a betting site and I interview former players and whenever it's former Manchester United players mm. for a, a chunk of that season, because the questions are provided for me, for a chunk of that season, it the sole angle was negativity surrounding Jose Mourinho. I mean, that was the sole thing. If it would be 15 just, questions, just the variations on that, just to get that former player to say something negative about Mourinho and it made it to the press because that was what was selling at that time. And then towards the end of the season, it completely changed shape. It was all kind of, you know, uh, so this is a great building block for Mourinho this season and et cetera, et cetera. So just from my own experience, I, I, I felt that, you know, the press were out for Mourinho because Fair that enough. was the, 
latest chapter in a soap. Last season was a soap opera more than any, and it was a soap opera with managers as you know protagonists. Well, so, and I just felt I, I felt they all took it into hands to take a kick in. I'm just saying a completely separate note. Well, slightly separate. I spoke to about three different United fans recently, and they. I was astounded at their negativity towards Mourinho. So I thought, having won, having won the treble, uh, it'd be you know walking an end. A lot of them were just you know to a man. They just said, "No, I, just, I don't like what he's doing. It's horrible. It's boring." If I didn't go with my dad, I wouldn't go. I'd probably you know this is someone who's had us one thirty years. I'd probably stop renewing my season ticket. It's like blimey! I thought you were just going to lay into me about how much better your season was. So. <laughs> So it's not, it's bizarre that, you know, it depends what you read, I guess, doesn't it? Mm. Yeah, you can see whatever you want in your echo chambers, but yeah, there'll be a lot that'll be happy with. Oh, we won that, you know, that, that three trophies is fairly no one, but I think it'll be a blank canvas for all the teams next year. It's like, this is it, you know. I think a lot of the managers have to perform. Conte's obviously. I still think it's know. interesting what what Steve's just said because, like, it's weird for me that I'm really struggling to. I see what you're saying there, Steve, but like with Mourinho and Klopp, I just think like it was the cult of the pair of them. W- w- yeah. As far as I'm concerned, with the media, I just felt like there was not a single moment where oh, Klopp gets Klopp gets more leeway. No two ways. Oh, now, absolutely, Klopp gets far because more leeway of the way he, the way he acts on the. Yeah, touchline and a bit of Liverpool. And the problem, the problem with Pep is between him announcing he's coming to us and him actually arriving and starting the season, there was so there was lots of positive stuff. And has, there's always in the press has to be a reaction to that, mm. especially some uh, red top. Uh, I'm not, you know, I'm not slagging the whole red top industry, but a lot of them just couldn't wait because they wanted yeah. to see. They didn't want to see that. They want. They wanted the Premier League to prove him wrong. See, I was, disagree. Yeah. The Premier League was just, oh, look at that. He couldn't crack the Premier League. The Premier League's found him out. You can't just swan over here with your fancy damn tactics and putting full-backs in the middle of mate, midfield mate, and just would, get... Would, honestly, would, that's how some people think. I, so. What I'm saying to you is that I disagree in that the broadsheets were just as bad. I'll say it depends. Depend. I mean, it's hard to say because the tele, yeah, you know, stuff like the Telegraph. No offense, he's barely a broadsheet anymore. So, uh, well, the Guardian and the Times, yeah, and the yeah. Independent, are three papers who, at different points in the season, wrote had such ridiculous things written about Guardiola that really? it just, you know, it it depends like again. Yeah, but who you're reading, Paul Wilson, ridiculous Jamie Jackson, or you Daniel Taylor, who, but this is the who wrote of very, broadsheets. I mean. Yeah, Daniel Taylor did a very pro-prep one about heart leaving, I think. Well, pragmatic articles, so I guess it depends. But yeah, well, it's just filling content in it, so you you can see any any opinion can be seen, can't it? But, yeah, no, for sure, for sure. But I guess I just feel like, you know, in, in, in my going back to loosely the fact that I've just done a season review, I think maybe my season review is different to the way people expected it to be because my reaction whilst we were in the eye of the storm of the season was very different because I felt super defensive of Pep because it was his first season. And so, you know, there's just, there's that thing that, you know, Mourinho in a way gets that, even though the start of the season was like, United are going to win the league because of Mourinho's know-how. Yeah. Um, But I just feel as though Pep wasn't cut any slack anywhere. It was just like the whole of the, 
the British media, the whole world just sort of went, all right, well, come on then, show us that you're a genius. And then when it didn't, you know, as soon as the, the results weren't quite there or the performances weren't quite there, they went to the complete other extreme, which was Guardiola's football won't work over here. He's not adapted to the league. He's going to resign. He looks so under pressure. He's losing it. Uh, he's disrespectful to journalists. I mean, just like all this kind of, like everything just became, it was just like pile on pep time for the whole season for me. And well... I, I, I would basically kind of review the season's media coverage of all the top six in, in a quite a simplistic manner, where I completely agree with you, Asan, about they, they were waiting for him to fail, and then you know Howard did the same, wanting him to fail, and then this kind of ridiculous kind of um, insular attitude of kind of oh you can't hack it over here in British football, etc. That that was nonsense, and that was pervasive throughout the start of the season. What I will say, though, is that after that, and this might be quite a controversial statement here, I thought Pep didn't get as much flack as maybe warranted in the in media. Uh, certainly as regards to how much the media kind of, you know, hurled crap at others for similar failings and have done in the past. And the reason for that, I believe, is be precisely because they started off with this preconceived kind of preformed uh, nonsense about, you know, him failing because that had already been out there, they would simply have been repeating themselves. And so there's very little value in that. Whereas Wenger, that was just a soap opera that ran and ran. And Klopp, you know, they, they held on and they held on and they desperately didn't want to slag him off because they are they adore Klopp. At one point, they had to just throw their hands up and say, okay, Liverpool, I've turned crap here and, you know, Klopp deserves a little bit of a kick in. And so Pep kind of avoided a lot of flack, I would say, in the latter half of the season. Can you because ultimately, can you, we underperformed last year. We, you know, we, yeah. we didn't do as well as we should have. Can you pinpoint a thing that Klopp was criticised for? Well, no, I, I don't think he got anywhere near as much no, uh, no, black you as missed my point. You missed my point, though. So I could even think about Mourinho and I can go, he definitely got criticism for his treatment of Luke Shaw and the way that he spoke in press conferences about Shaw and Mictarian and a couple of others at different times, yeah? There was definitely, mm. I read negative things where people were basically going, really, mate, that trick maybe is is not going to work anymore. Can you think of a, anything specifically, that a decision that Klopp made that the media went wrong, he shouldn't have done that? No, there was no decision, but the, what, what there was in a similar fashion to kind of this nonsense surrounding Pep at the start of the season was equally a, a nonsensical kind of um, belief that Klopp drills his players into the ground and they, they, they're knackered for the second half of the season. That was pervasive and, and that was just nonsense. So there was a kind of um, a misconstruction of what he was doing there at okay. Liverpool yeah, rather one. than a singular kind of you know decision. Yeah, no, fair enough. That is actually one. That's the you're right there. I I do now that you mention it. I do remember that there was a moment where people asked the question whether Liverpool have just run out of legs and whether Klopp's mm. system, you know, is too. To I, think, well, I think all three of us. And I think everyone listening will agree as well that Klopp. Oh my God, he's treated entirely differently to every other top, and the, uh, top flight yeah, manager. Yeah, the key example for me is. I mean, I think Guardiola was rightly. Criticise. I know, Steve, you think it is a bit uh, grouchy and uh, grumpy in press conferences, but 
Klopp's was shouting in, you know, literally yeah, shouted agreed. abuse at a fourth official, and yeah. he was just waved away and he joked about it afterwards and he apologized, you know, said, "Oh, sorry, I was just passionate in the moment," and no one talked about it. And you know, if Guardiola had done that, it's like, it's, you know, these managers, oh, they're passionate, they jump up and down, but they should spend ninety minutes shouting at the fourth official and in the faces and. That's you know why is that okay compared to being a bit grumpy in a press conference? It's just well, like, it was only a week earlier than Guardiola was kind of surly. Yeah, it in was they came close together. Yeah, was in his post-match interview. Yeah, and, you know, and Mourinho walked out of two. Mm. You know, the ones that they do in the tunnel, he he stopped too early. He just walked away from them after getting the wrong question. It's like yeah, well, Again, they're, all, think, they're think, all grumpy bastards. Yeah, <laughs> it's a pressure job. Do you know I, mean? I know. I don't mind. That's fine. I don't expect them to be perfect. They're humans, but you know, Klopp can just—he'd probably, you know, it'd be on. He could punch a fourth official and it'd be laughed away. Sometimes it's like because he's got the teeth and the grin and the the personality. In it. <laughs> <laughs> but I do yeah, think just, I think the media set. Like I think, for example, you know, I'll give you an example. Look, if they if the media wanted to, right, they could have gone at Pep. In, uh, at Klopp in every press conference about Daniel Sturridge. The bottom line is that Sturridge spent a lot of the season fit, just not getting picked. And he's one mm. of England's best strikers, yeah? And, and he can't get near the team. And I'm, again, if you contrast the way in which certain decisions by other managers, including um, Guardiola, were hammered at week in, week out selection decisions. Why isn't he getting in the side? Why isn't he getting in the side? What has he got to do to get back in the side? All that sort of stuff. Whereas, I guess for me, where the treatment differs often is in the the questions they ask themselves. If that makes sense, that I absolutely yeah. agree. And, and you know what? I would I would extend upon that and say it's even worse than what, what you say because the press did go after him for storage, and you know, not in a, in a particularly kind of uh, aggressive manner, but they asked him repeatedly and repeatedly about storage until he snapped in one press conference and just said enough, and then it stopped. Now that's worrying when you consider that you know every manager has to deal with it, the, the one theme or the two or three themes every week, week in, and it drive you insane, quite frankly. I mean, and they snap. Every manager does. Guardiola's been asked it, questions about Aguero at the at the very end of the season. Yeah, like at the very yeah, end of the season, example. he's still being yeah. asked about Aguero after everybody said everything that they want to say. He's still being asked about Aguero. Just stuff like yeah. that that you just sort of go. Actually, I've just remembered. I think it was Sam Lee that asked about. Yeah, <laughs> Don't surprise me, the rag. Doesn't surprise me, though. <laughs> yeah, Sam. I hope you're listening, mate. We love you, really. I, I hope he isn't now. <laughs> <laughs> might take that. Might take that seriously. <laughs> nah, he's great. Um, hey, listen, lads. It's been nearly an hour, and I, I, I mean, I could keep talking because I've missed this. It's been like ten days, and I feel like there's loads to talk about. But we've got a Premier League podcast that we're going to do in a couple of days. Um, so yeah, thank you everybody. Thank you, Steve, first for coming on. Yeah, thanks, mate. It was a really good review. That really uh, enjoyed it. Thank you, Howard. Yeah, it's good to be back, isn't it? So good to be back. Thank you to everybody <laughs> who listened. Um, please remember, we are moving to a subscription model in August, and it will be four pounds a month to listen to all the shows except for the Friday show. The Friday preview show will remain free. To listen to all the other content, it's a measly pint a month. Um, we'll announce in the next few weeks details of how you can sign up. In the meantime, as always, if you like what we do, go to iTunes, hit subscribe, send us a tweet, go to our 
website, 9320.com. Listen to some of the older podcasts for a laugh. Uh, and yeah, we will be back, I believe, tomorrow with a Transfer Talk special with Mr. Sam Lee. Until then, bye. <laughs>